Hi, everyone. I'm JJ Hornblass, and welcome to Fintech Unfiltered, the podcast from Bank Innovation on what's new in banking technology and innovation. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in our market for the week of October 5, 2020. Want to thank um, the advertisers who have been supporting us, uh, Blend, Q2E Banking, and Mambu for their support. Thank you to them. And I am happy to be joined by Rick Morgan and Bianca Chan from Bank Innovation. Hello to both of you. It is Friday, October 9 this week. The federal stimulus bill continued to stutter. The vice presidential debate was held while the next presidential debate seems now unlikely. A Wall Street Journal survey found economists don't expect a full market, a full job market rebound until 2023. Uh, new data shows that the federal government's budget gap in fiscal year 2020 widened to $3.1 trillion from $984 billion a year earlier, a three-fold increase. Hurricane Delta, a powerful Category 3 storm, was forecast to make landfall this evening near Lake Charles, Louisiana, six weeks after Hurricane Laura struck the same area. This would mark the first time on record that a major hurricane hit the same location twice in one season. And finally this week, Bank Innovation was redesigned and its redesigned site was launched and we hope you like it very, very, very much. Um, the, the, one of the key stories that we published this week uh, focused on robotic process automation or RBA in banking. Bianca, let's start by just defining what that means uh, before we get into a bit of a discussion on what's the state of RBA in banking today. Right, yeah, so robotic process automation is basically a term used to describe software um, that either partially or fully automates, um, you know, like typically repetitive mundane tasks that humans usually carry out. Um, so stuff like data entry or uh, processing transactions. So what are some of the key hurdles to implement? Well, let's start by, let's first start by, to what degree has RBA been adopted in banking today? How pervasive is it uh, in banking? Well, you can see, um, well, okay, so RBA, I think many banks today are using it, but um, to the extent of how advanced those applications are is still in question. Um, in financial services, much of the applications are still just, yes, like the very typical, um, very almost simple tasks to, to carry out. Um, but there's more, uh, there's more potential here is what um, industry experts and panelists said at the uh, Cybos conference this week. Um, and used in concert with other sorts of um, like other sorts of machinery, like artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, cloud computing, 5G, Internet of Things, so IoT, um, it can become quite powerful. Uh, and one of the things that stood out was how it can help banks overcome the hurdle of dealing with legacy systems. So we've been speaking um, to, to sources about this for the past few weeks now, and um, 
what it sounds like is there are two kind of main integrations to unlocking legacy systems. One way is through native integration via APIs. The other way is with RPA, robotic process automation. Um, and now it's a little complex, <laughs> but uh, the way that that is done is um, you basically create robotic processes that uh, use graphical user interface. So that's basically a fancy term to say, you know, the icons you see on your computer screen or, um, you know, the words, the text boxes that you see. Uh, and the, the program software essentially, um, you, you can create program software that essentially will carry out the same sort of uh, manual tasks that are built into the systems, the way the legacy infrastructures are just built. Uh, and so it doesn't necessarily make any hard changes to the actual tech stack, but it's more streamlining the processes, uh, the manual processes that are built into the legacy systems um, by having robots do the, the manual tasks versus humans. So what are the impediments to this? Well, it's, it's even though it's been in um, the, the technologies kind of was introduced decades ago, we're still uh, in the nascent periods, like we haven't figured it all out. Uh, the CEO at Blue Prism, which creates robotic process automation software for big companies like Microsoft, Google, Lloyds Banking Group, uh, he says that we're, we're still um, figuring it out how, how it connects um, more largely to big and beyond just the, uh, the easy sort of manual tasks that can be completed through RPA. So what would you, what would you expect for RBA um, let's say over the next, I don't know, year. I mean, how would you, first of all, how can we measure its adoption? Um, what would be a, you know, what would be a mark of progress um, in, uh, in, in terms of adoption of RBA and banking, you know, over the next, call it 12 months? Right, yeah. So I think we could use the forecasts that are out there. So Gardner, which is a global research and advisory firm um, has done a lot of research on RPA adoption uh, and we can see the growth or track the growth based on their um, predictions. So they're, they're expecting a 20% year-over-year increase in RPA uh, software revenue to 1.89 billion by 2021. The other kind of marker that we can also use is um, that same report says that by 2022 85% or 90% of companies surveyed in their report uh, will be using RPA. That's compared with about 25% today. So we should see it skyrocket. <laughs> but this are, those, that number for RPA is not that high. I mean, it's not from a, it, it's not a, a big dollar amount. I mean, on a relative basis. I mean, when you look at, uh, I don't know, the numbers spent on cloud computing, for example, well, I think cloud computing makes it uh, possible for simple uses of RPA to be accessible. Mm. Another development that we've been focusing on are the uh, is on the regulatory side in terms of payment charters. Um, so, Rick, what as um, what's the OCC, the Office of the Controller of the Currency? What is the OCC trying to do? in regards to charters? Well, they're trying to sort of create a, uh, a new version of the FinTech charter that's being held up in the Southern District of New York. Uh, and instead of including lending and payments in this charter, it's 
simply just a payments charter. So it's a little bit pared down. It's a little bit simpler. Um, you know, lending can be a little bit controversial. So they, they figured if they just strip it down and make it a little bit simpler, um, this is something that, that people might get on board with. Um, the payment charter uh, is a way for payment charters to sort of not have to get state by state licensing. They'll be able to operate nationally. Banks don't like it because they say it's gonna create this light regulatory environment. Um, but the fintechs and a lot of experts in the industry say that the current state-by-state -state licensing system is archaic, slow, costly, and it ends up hurting consumers. So I, I guess my question, I ask this really to both of you, um, is, you know, first of all, this charter seems unlikely to go through. Uh, if the fintech charter, if the fintech charter got, got, got shot down, uh, through the courts, I don't know how, I, I, it's, it's hard, I don't really understand how this wouldn't get shot so, down. Uh, they definitely stand and fall together. That is something we heard. Uh, it's important to note that that FinTech charter fight is very far from over. Um, the OCC, it sounds like, is prepared to take that all the way to the Supreme Court if they need to. So that, that's um, still something that's being fought right now. Um, and the payment charter is, you're right, it's going to face the same thing. Pretty much everyone I spoke with said that, yes, as soon as someone gets one of these payment charters, it's going to get held up in court, um, and the OCC is going to challenge it, and they're going to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, and that seems to be where this is headed. Uh, so this becomes like a political thing. So, so, so just from a political standpoint, mm -hmm. it, it would seem, I mean, the FinTech charter initiative was started during the last administration. Yes, it is. Go ahead. Sorry, you were saying. No, that's an important thing to note is that it was started by uh, uh, Curry, who was an Obama appointee, and now it's being championed by Brooks, who's the uh, acting controller, Brian Brooks. Um, and he is obviously a Trump appointee. So this has kind of gone across party lines. Um, they both championed it. Um, you know, obviously the election does sort of muddy the future a little bit in terms of what will happen. But um, this has certainly been a bipartisan effort that, that has crossed party lines. So the, le the legal challenge to it is based on what principle? Uh, that these institutions, if they want to become chartered institutions, shouldn't be able to skirt uh, um, important regulatory issues like the CRA, the Bank Holding Company Act, uh, and other regulations that deposit-taking institutions are subject to. Now, what some of the experts I spoke with said is that, well, these payments, fintechs aren't taking deposits, so why would they be held to these same uh, deposit-taking institution standards? Um, so, I mean, I, I, right. I don't know. There, there, there are plenty of financial regulatory frameworks that they probably, you know, they could be, that could apply to Mm -hmm. the well, recipients yeah. of these charters uh -huh. that they, yeah. I don't think, are contemplating right now. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I think the OCC still plans on regulating these fintechs very stringently. Um, I think that's the argument they're making is that, you know, this isn't going to be regulation light, as everyone likes to call it. This is still going to, they're still going to be subject to uh, a lot of rules and regulations, and the OCC does have the authority to grant special purpose charters. So, um, that's the argument they're going to take to the Supreme Court. How that goes, I don't know. Um, you know what what the right or wrong answer is is beyond me as well. But uh, right, 
this will well, go, this seems like it's going going to keep. Yeah. So lot. let's leave the, the legal argument aside for a second, because to try to, it's, it's difficult to discern whether a more conservative court, which seems like we're going to have um, at this point, uh, considering the, uh, the uh, nomination of uh, Judge Barrett, right? Isn't that her? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so let's leave the legal discussion aside. What I wanted to focus on more was the market need. Now, if you want to go ahead and get this charter, the present there was there were, there was what one fintech charter granted, I believe. Uh, yeah, but that got I forget who got it. Somebody um, got a charter. Yeah. There was a charter. There's also the ILC charter, but that some people have gotten. Yeah. So to to acquire a charter costs a lot of money and effort. Yeah. And it seems that there are plenty of fintechs that are getting by just fine using bank charter services from existing banks. You know, there's, so you can argue that there is cost that's getting folded into the system as a result of that, um, of, the, of that requirement. But is the cost that much greater than what a charter would cost to not just secure, but also maintain? And so if that's the case, like, is this, is this really worth the effort? And is it really going to have the level of adoption that the OCC is, thinks it will have? That's a really good question. I mean, uh, that, I mean, only time will tell. And, and it's hard to say since uh, the FinTech charter has been blocked and the payments charter is so nascent. Um, right. It's hard for me to say, you know, is it worth it from a market standpoint? Uh, you're right. I mean, the, the the payment charter will cost money to get, and whether or not that cost will be um, better for fintechs than getting state by state licensing or going through a partner bank, which also costs money, it's hard to say unless you're looking at their books. I would say, Bianca, you want to weigh in? Yeah, sure. I think uh, in terms of market opportunity, yeah, like it's it's going to be a big jump to to really try to get that payment charter same same as we've seen with the fintech charter it's obviously going to cost a lot of money i think it comes down to what that fintech's roadmap is do they want to just continue to offer the services that that they can offer via um you know being back like partner banks or do they want to have more control more in-house control i guess and, and be able to kind of branch out to do whatever would be on their roadmap I mean, we've seen so much more competition on that side from the, from the you know, the bank charter providers. So I, I don't know. I, I think that this is really going to end up appealing to a very small slice of fintechs, meaning and most likely really big ones that probably don't really need the financial relief or or can, you know, that, you know, the service for them. I mean, I, I just, it's hard to see. I, I think more fascinating thing to me is the fact that this is actually going through under a Republican administration. Why exactly they're, why this has uh, enchanted them, I don't really quite fully grasp uh, when as a general principle, they're just, they, they advocate for less government involvement as a, generally speaking so it's hard it's hard for me to uh, reconcile but uh, that's a question that we definitely cannot answer 
today. Uh, what do we have in store for our esteemed readers in the forthcoming week? Uh, we'll be digging into some uh, new APIs from Bank of America and, and the implications that, that will have uh, on their business. Nice. Yeah, and I'm going to be looking at um, a handful of minority-owned banks and how they're using technology to, to reach their customers and uh, help out their communities. And um, we uh, are so happy that you've listened to this podcast. Please, uh, uh, please subscribe where you listen to your podcasts and also rate us on your podcast platforms. Um, and follow us, of course, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, we'd also love to see you at bankinnovation.net where you can subscribe to our news service. And uh, speaking of RPA, we have the, bank, the Banking Automation Summit that is uh, coming up in November where we'll delve uh, very much more deeply into automation-related issues. In the meantime, and you can find out more about that at bankingautomationsummit.com. Uh, Rick and Bianca, thank you so much. And thank you all so much for, uh, for joining us. We'll see you next time.